All right. So talking, reconstructing faith in now the age of deconstruction. I have over the last, I think it's probably been about 10 years of beginning to hear that term or the concept of deconstructing faith. And it, more and more so over the last five years and, and, and having friends, I, I, I want to start with this. I don't know enough people personally and have had, have not had enough conversations to speak in a deep educated manner about the reasons why what's happened, and, which is part of this podcast is to one, not be afraid to allow people to ask questions, to voice beliefs, opinions, experiences, what they've gone through to land where they do in terms of faith and what they believe about Jesus and the church and the Bible, the scriptures, validity, all of those things, not being afraid to have those conversations. And at the same time, helping to walk through that process for those wanting to do that, looking at that and going, it, it doesn't have to be the negative side of things. It doesn't have to be deconstruction of faith. It can be like the idea of reconstructing. So the argument is not maybe not the argument, but the push is to go instead of being on the negative side and deconstruct, why don't we rebuild this thing in a healthy way and deal with the issues at hand? The, the, conver the few conversations I have had and the experiences that I've seen either up close had myself or watched from uh, a distance and had personal conversations with, or then watched from a distance and not knowing people, but listening to or reading and seeing where they've landed and why seems like a lot of the times it comes from a negative experience inside the church. And probably most of the time is a deeply hurtful experience inside the church, either a relationship or the way that somebody was treated, or even a pastor who is inside an unhealthy environment, who's gotten all the way down the road to, I'm now no longer a believer. I'm completely out. So like it, it can be from, man, we're now the D church. We don't go to church. The I'm still on, on Jesus, but I'm just out on the whole body idea and being a part of a church or all the way to where I'm completely out. And th there are those who would firmly say with conviction, I don't believe there's a God because if there was, these experiences could not have happened and he would have prevented that. I've had some really, really negative experiences inside the church. And much like I listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast and then listened to some podcasts after that from some former pastors and guys that were in the room at the table and now are on the other side of the argument and saying, no, they've done that. They've deconstructed their faith. They've, they're not in anymore. And guys that at one point had shared the gospel with other people and very fervently pursued being a pastor and being a good one and their experience led them to the other side. I would, I've had similar experiences and on two different occasions, not for, I think some of those guys were there for, for decades. I wasn't in an unhealthy environment for decades, but for years, uh, at least three and a half of the I say 15, 13 really on full time and then 15 bookends. Uh, there's probably another two years of getting in and then all the process of being out of doing professional church ministry. 
full-time. So I sit roughly 15 years being on staff, at least three and a half of those were very, very unhealthy situations and very hurtful from a personal level. And even for my family that we still have negative impacts on the way our son, not so much. He was young enough that he probably doesn't remember the majority. Our daughter remembers a lot more and has had a much harder time processing that and being a part of the church. And and what that means and the implications of just how she interacts, how she perceives things. And I would say the same for us, just how we, like when we go into church, like there's always the, is there an agenda where we go in? Can we trust these people? Is it about money? What is it about? Is it about power? Is it about influence? Is it really about leading people and feeling the weight and responsibility that Jesus puts on it? So this idea of, there's something broken. I remember I was in a, in a, just smacked. I'm sorry. I was in a meeting. It was a Sunday morning prayer meeting, a church I worked at in Austin, uh, Austin Ridge Bible church. We were every Sunday we would get gather together. A group of us, uh, all pastors would gather together. And I don't, I don't think it was a requirement. I think it was an invite that we would gather together, but it, I, whether it was an invite or not does not matter. I was consistently in that prayer meeting every Sunday morning before we started services, praying for the day, what was happening for people that were lost, for people that were hurting, etc. Normative things that you pray for, for that Sunday in particular. And I remember being in the room and I think I'd been there at least a year and just feeling this weight of like, man, something is not right. Something isn't right, not just in the room, but it, when I said that, I, and I remember praying and saying, Jesus, there's something broken inside our church. And that was not well received, it, it, meaning not from Jesus. I don't, I don't think Jesus had a problem with me saying that because I think there was something and probably, yeah, I don't know now I'm not in the room, but I've heard stories. And I would say at that time, yeah, there was something, there was something deeply off with what was going on. And not from a man, I know everything, I'm right, you're wrong, but from a man, a third of our staff was rolling over with consistency. I think we had, I don't know, 60 plus people on that staff, 55 to 60, 65, somewhere in that range. And from the time I had, like right before I got there till the time I left, we rolled over 25 plus people that were full-time and guys on the like top tier pastoral team. When like, I walked in the room and sat at the table, there, there were multiple guys in that room on that team that were gone within 12 to, I was there 25 months, that range. And I, I don't know, there's maybe 12, 12 to 15 of those guys in one, four of them were gone including myself, uh, from that team by the time, like when I walked in the room, there's there, there was one right before that I walked in. And so five from right before me to right after me, five guys out of a group of I don't know, 12 to 15. So a f- what is that? A, f- a fourth to a third, third to a fourth of those guys rolled over for different reasons but the ones I interacted with all had similar experiences of the undercurrent of negativity. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's broken. 
and you know, it was X, Y, or Z for this personality in their, not just personality, but in their experience, in their particular role and how things were handled, but it, none of it was positive from a, when I say none of it, the guys left for positive reasons. There's a guy who went planted a church, a guy that left to, one of them was just fired. Um, a guy that left to go take a position at a seminary. He was highly educated and wicked smart, went to do that. Another guy left to go uh, not start a ministry. He'd already started a ministry in a missions area, but really like, man, we're going to dive all in with this. So he went to do that. I, I just left. I literally resigned and walked out the, the meeting I had when I said, Hey, I'm gone. We had gone through a process of, we, we had come back to the Dallas area to meet with a group of people that we had a group of people we were meeting with in Austin and saying, Hey, here's what's on the table. We are considering leaving, not knowing what we're going to do, putting our daughter at the school she goes to in the DFW area specifically for assistance. She needs educationally. And at the time she was going to be a fourth grader. She was a third grader going into fourth grade. It was the summer in between. So we're processing through this. So we came to Dallas to have those same conversations with a small group of people who we had been very close with and sought wisdom from before we went to Austin. And so we came back and said, it's through a series of meetings here was what we're doing. And everybody said, yes, you like jump ship, jump out of the plane. We have no shoot. Yes, jump anyways. And so I hopped on a plane. I flew home. My family stayed here. Ryan was going to go to New York for uh some appointments with some clients and so i flew home uh on a monday walked in the office tuesday morning said i'm leaving you want me here for two weeks how long you want me they said no you can announce it sunday and you're done and and it may have been faster than that i think they just said no you can go home with the question of like what are you going to do where are you going and i said i don't know i don't know what i'm doing i know i'm leaving and i know we're moving back and so in the process of eight days we had i flew back resigned, listed and sold the house and Tanner started school. And so it was less than a week and a half that we said, Hey, we're going to leave to where we were here and she was in school and we were doing what we were doing, running the direction that we are now still running, but seven years back down the race. So, and that was driven from a very, very negative, hurtful, painful, mishandled, unappropriate, uh, outside the lines of biblical shepherding, leading interaction, all of those things. There's a lot of things that were very wrong. And so, and at the same time, there were, there was a tragedy that happened inside the ministry. And so those things coupled together, it was like all this stuff had compounded and I, I physically couldn't, like I was nauseous when I drove onto the campus and for, for those two reasons combined, I think both, both were, if just one, if just the tragedy would have happened, it still would have been very, very challenging to stay long-term. And which I, from what I understand is normative of, from guys I've talked to that have had similar experiences. And then uh, the other side, I was already interviewing other places. I was already leaving um, long before I was interviewing at churches and the jump out of the plane actually was actually, I'm not going anywhere. And I, and I never get out, got on a church staff again. It's which leads us to the journal of a former pastor. So it, it was my leaving there 
was a mixture of a series of just really crappy experiences as a pastoral figure and leaving and then looking back and watching a lot of that stuff still taking place and seeing friends going through the same thing and, and things happening that aren't right, that are, that are wrong, that are just flat wrong and being frustrated and asking the question I've asked with a regular basis over the last seven years, having left there and, and looking at some other instances and saying like, Jesus, are you watching what's going on? And I can see, I can see that people get to when they ask that question and go, how is fill in the blank still in power when this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And yet the scriptures say God disciplines his children as a son that he delight as, as a, as a father would the son he delights in that's Proverbs chapter three. And that's not happening at least in a tangible way that we see. So I can, I, I can't say that I understanding would mean like, oh yeah, I could get there and, and, and not saying that, I, oh, man, how am I trying to say this in a, in a very genuine way? People have landed in places because of severe pain and the emotional, physical scars and trauma that have been trauma that has taken place in the scars that, and, and wounds that that creates has led to a place of, man, this can't be true. And I've asked the question, like, Jesus, are you watching? Like, God, are you not seeing the things I'm seeing? It will followed up by the caveat of like, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am when I look at the scriptures. And, it, and it's, not a, it's not about like, I'm right, you're wrong. It's that this isn't consistent with what the Bible clearly says a pastor should be these things. An elder should be these things. Paul writes to Titus and says, an uh, elder looks like this. He writes to Timothy and says, an elder looks like this. Here are the different offices that are in the church established by Jesus, organized to be led and care for people in the way that God intended. And it doesn't look like that. But why? And how, like, how has it not changed? How has that not shifted? How has God not done something about that? So clearly we get to where people go, then it can't be true. If, if none of this is being fixed, then how is it true? And so my questions didn't get that far. My questions got to, are you watching this? And then and going, okay, if Proverbs 3 is true. If Hebrews 12 is true, if what Paul wrote to Titus and Timothy are true, how do we still have this broken system that is employing certain individuals, not just employing, but employing them at a high dollar figure, and they're capitalizing on this thing that God created to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring freedom, to bring life and care for humans and it's not, and it may like that may be happening some or on the side or whatever, but like what's going on right now? So the idea that like experiences are leading to the deconstruction of faith, is that a new thing? Don't think so. And it, I think if we can look at the old Testament, see, man, there are people that were mistreated that led to God having to intervene 
you know, in their, in their lives to be story. You've got Abraham and Sarah and Sarah's not pregnant. So she says, Hagar is my maidservant, have a baby with her. So Abraham does. And then they have Ishmael who is, is then hated by Sarah as well as Hagar to the point where Abraham finally like kicks him out of the camp and is like, leave and go like, here's a bladder of water, go into the wilderness and die. Well, that's not healthy. Like, and this is the guy that was called by God to leave where he lived in Ur, follow God and then be established as a nation. Like that guy messed up bad. And I'm sure at some point, like she's sitting there on a rock in Ishmael's land. She's like, all right, it's, he's going to die. And you get to that point, she's got to be questioning, like, is God real? Is this like, and God has to intervene and provide for them in a unique way. So that I mean, people have been being mistreated by those, not only in power, but those in power from a if we look at Hebrews 12, it's clear that those who are elders have a weight on their shoulders that they will eventually answer to Jesus for. There have been multiple times I've wanted to make a phone call or two to say, hey, do, did you miss that part of the Bible where, where Paul tells that church community, the, the, the sheep the members, the people who are being cared for need to um, happily submit to the authority of elders because the weightiness of eldership and the account that has to be given to Jesus for how you led is a, man, I answer to Jesus, not to anybody else. So because they answer to, to God and God has chosen to put them there, submit to their authority with you know with joy <laughs> there seems to be a disconnect with some guys in ministry and I, and I say most pastors in america are male there seems to be a disconnect with the understanding or at least the playing out in a very tangible way that man i have to answer to jesus for how i shepherd the body as opposed to I have to answer to the advisory board or the bank or the budget or my Twitter or my podcast or my message reviews or my message clicks or my downloads or my book sales or my numbers that I turn into whatever convention I'm a part of or fill in the blank that I'm keeping score with. It's like, it seems like we're keeping score in another way. And we forgot that Jesus is keeping the score. And eventually we as pastors will have to say, here's why I ran that play. And here, like when we're in the press conference, that's not the press and it's just you and, and God, and you're giving the account that Paul refers to in Hebrews that we will give. We, I think we forget that. And we forget that weightiness. And that has caused a deconstruction by a group of people who were once said that to be believers and now would say they're not. And there's something broken about that. 
there's something not only broken about that, but the idea of like, man, if we are keeping score, we're losing. And one of the reasons we're losing is how bad we are at doing this. And so the question isn't for me has not, the question for me has not been, how can I deconstruct it? But to go, no, I, I believe and love Jesus just as much as I did when I was, if not more so than when I was 26, 27 and having a quote, good experience in a healthy environment and things were good. I, I have, I think probably a stronger conviction that God is involved in it, that he cares and loves us, but it has been a process of trying to, to reconstruct what was broken in terms of my experience in my thought process and what was happening, questioning, are you watching? And I still ask that question. It was just the turn of the year in a, in hearing a story of a close friend of mine and how he was treated in, in, in an environment that was just like, gosh, this is so broken. And I asked multiple times in, in prayer times, like, God, are you watching this? Like when, and being reminded that, you know, a couple of things, one, the things that, that like the rocks that have helped me, the basic rocks that have been very helpful for me are one, I remain convicted firmly that God is real and that Jesus is the answer and loves me. And I, and I go back through my life and look at how has Jesus marked and changed and, and created hope and healing and freedom and safety and all of those things for me individually as a person that says, do I believe in Jesus? Yes. And, and not only from a and I don't get paid for that anymore. I, I, I'm not paid to have a quiet time. I'm not paid to teach people. I don't get paid to share the gospel. I don't get paid to sit down and help people with problems or to show up at the hospital or to fill in the blank or any of those things. You know, I'm still deeply convicted about the truth of the scriptures and the fact that I need Jesus because I don't measure according to what the scriptures say, me without Jesus does not meet God's standards. Plain and simple, regardless of who's teaching from a pulpit, regardless of who's getting paid at church, regardless of how a church pastor or member or individual was treated or how money was appropriated or any of those things, it doesn't change the fact that I don't meet the standards. And so I got something has to intercede. So I still deeply am convicted of that. Another human's interaction doesn't change that. Another, if a pastor who is unhealthy exists and stays in that position and remains there. I had a guy tell me one time, he, he said we were discussing ministry in a meeting. He was my boss at the time, and we were discussing the view on ministry and, quote, success in discussing it because I was asking, like, what, like, what is success to you? help me understand because I, it's not clear. And the answer was success in ministry is still being in it in 20 years to which I was like, that's the dumbest answer I've ever heard in my life because success in ministry, as I 
see the scriptures communicate and how I was then translating that into tangible life on a day-to-day basis was I'm going to run as hard and fast and hard as I can after what God has put in front of me until I can't anymore. And if I do that and I walk away having a clear conscience and not being concerned or worried about how I'm going to give an account for which play I called when, when I talk to God about that particular time frame in life, that's a win. Whether it was six days or whether it was 60 years, if I can give an account for doing it that way, then I'm good with that. And that's a win. That is success. Seeing like being used by God in ways that you watch people go, I like, I need Jesus and getting to show them what the scriptures say about trusting Jesus and being a part of that. That's a, that's winning. Seeing, seeing lives change. That's winning being there when people are hurting and broken and, and just showing up and being what Job's friends were before they talked to those around you. That that's winning. As we look in, as the scriptures communicate, these are areas where we're winning. Just sharing the gospel with consistency, whether people being, like I'm telling the story about Jesus and what he's done for us, man's condition, who God is, how we should respond to that according to what the the scriptures say, what the Bible says. And even if nobody responds, that's still being successful because I'm doing what I was told to do. That's success. Not still having a job in two decades. What? So, so how did so how do we get to deconstruction? Because of stupid answers like that. Not only stupid answers like that, but guys who truly believe that, and that's how they lead. I'm leading out of fear of money. I'm leading a fear of my power being taken away, my influence being taken away, my platform being taken away. Not for the sake of I these things I'm utilizing for what God has called me to do, or what God has said. We as if you say I'm in on Jesus, I got to do it this way. Then I have to use those things for that and that alone. And instead, I'm afraid of that because I'm afraid to lose those things because how they influence me, how they impact me, what it is for me. And so, of course, we get to that answer with people to go, I can't, like, this can't be real because clearly you don't believe it is. Which now I'm like, wait, how did, what am I talking about right now? How did I get to that? So, as I wrestle with that to go, no, God's still real. That guy doesn't impact, like, just because you said that doesn't mean it changes my mind. I can go, that's not consistent with the scriptures. You're just wrong. And, and again, it's not about like, I, it's not because I have some kind of great insight or I'm above that, or I reach some kind of, I didn't, it's very plain in the scriptures. That's very clear. In, in fact, everybody who, who drove from this, from the sake of position Money and success all failed. Everybody, Judas, 30 pieces of silver, hung himself. That's not a win. That's a loss. Right? Like the the couple that came early in Acts and said, hey, we're giving, like we sold our land and we're giving this money. And they they both died because they lied about how much money from the land they were giving because they were worried about it. And like, those are, those are losses. Saul. So busy wanting to hang on to his kingdom. Totally lost. Not only his position, his place, all of those things, because it was misappropriated. Now, like it lasted a while. 
and he was still king until he died. But his son Jonathan didn't take over, which was all that's uh, historically that's always the win for the king. Isn't that I stay in power for so long? It's that when I die, it passes to my son, to my son, to my son or their son, their son, their son, excuse me. And I have multiple generation of Kings. That means my legacy, my name consists and it remains. And I was, I was so good that I impacted five generations of great Kings. He, and he didn't because it was, it was about him. And David was in a position where Saul, like Saul tried to throw, he threw a spear at him to literally dart him against the wall. And it didn't shake David's faith. David himself is an idiot with Bathsheba and then with Uriah, again with Uriah, and then he kills Uriah. It, and it cost him severely and ended up costing him, actually, that was uh, a breakdown in the kingdom long term as it passed to Solomon, his son, who then from there marries hundreds of women. And, and then the kingdom breaks down from that point in succession and, and not only succession, but it being divided up and then it just being a mess from then on. But even like even David, who was an amazing leader, was a very broken leader, but yet recognized the validity of like, I'm broken. I need God and I need God's grace. I need God's love. I need God's forgiveness. And when I mess up, even when it's really, really big, I'm still going to do what I can to walk through the process of restoration appropriately. David is a model of how you do that. Saul is not. And, but that idea, like, okay, is God watching? Does God see this? Yeah, God saw, God could see what Saul had done. God enacted Here's the punishment, or here's the response to that. Punishment's the correct word. And then it was years before that actually came to fruition. Like he lived out the rest of his life as the king, and then he died, and then it was passed, ended up being passed to David. And so, it, meaning as I wrestle with that, the guys that I see in position that make me ask that question, God, are you still watching? Just because they're not removed from that position right now doesn't mean that God is not watching. It doesn't mean God hasn't seen it. It doesn't mean God's not going to do something about it. And at the same time, just the simple saying, it's like, not my circus, not my monkey. It's not. The, the church that I was at in Austin, Austin Ridge, not a healthy experience. It's not. That's not my circus. And they're not my monkeys. I'm not saying they're monkeys, but you know what I mean? Like that's God's deal. And, you know, Paul wrote at one point, he's like, what I know now, I know in part. I see as if I am looking in a dim mirror and it's a, it's a foggy reflection of what is true. So I can see some of it, but it's not crystal clear. It's not, it's not picture perfect. It's not this extreme clarity of understanding, but he says, but when I see Jesus face to face, I will immediately have clarity on the things that are dim, on the things that are foggy, on the things that are ripply inside this old mirror. If you've ever seen an old vintage mirror, they're not like ours are, and or we're not like ours are. 
or even like the reflection in the in water of a man i'm i see the reflection but i'm not gaining the details in the freckles and the pores and the mustache and the way it's been nicely trimmed but when i see jesus face to face it will all be made clear and he says i will know i will fully know the same way i am fully known and that idea that man when i see jesus it will be made clear the things i don't understand i will and and that's one of those things like i don't one day that we will have an answer and like that's a scriptural thing like paul wrote that here's what like the greatest theologian other than jesus wrote and said, I don't get it all. I don't understand everything. As I live with this mission that God verbally said, you are going to take the story of me to the world and you're going to be killed for it because you have to know because of what you've done in persecuting, you have to know how much you have to suffer for this sake. Like Paul didn't get an option. He got pan picked, like pluck him out. Here we go. And he says, I do not, I can't fathom it all. I can't understand it all. I can't explain it all away. I, there are questions I have. There are things that are unsettling to me. I have this thorn in my side that's painstaking that I can't wait to die for it to go away. Whether that was anxiety or chronic pain or a limp he had or a cut that he took in the middle, I, I don't know. But we do know that Paul had, he had something that pained him for life, whether that was physically, emotionally, or, or both, I, I'm not sure, and, and something that he was readily ready to have taken away. And, and God wouldn't do it uh, until he's like, man, one day that's coming. But what Paul rested in would be the same thing that I would say I've had to rest into to go, not everything can I understand, but I trust the scriptures are true that one day when I see Jesus face to face, it will all be made clear. Not only that, the, the physical, there was, as I listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, one of the pastors was discussing the anxiety and the chronic pain he now feels for the last decade from his time there. I, he and I, oddly enough, are roughly the same age. We're in those experiences at roughly the exact same time, not only time-wise in, in terms of like uh, 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, the same years, we were the same age in the same years and now experience this exact same thing physically. And, you know, the, the trauma then created a anxiety response that has created chronic pain and anxiety from what had happened that has lasted a decade. It's still there. Like on a daily basis, I still deal with the ramifications internally of what happened in those experiences right now. So I have to go, okay, Paul, I'm not Paul. I, like I didn't get hand plucked. Like God did not blind me on a road. I didn't fall off a horse. I wasn't blind for three days. Nobody named Ananias came and put his hands on me and, and regained my sight. I didn't hear an audible voice of the Lord saying like, what are you doing? Like case, who are you persecuting? That never happened to me. Yeah, and God didn't say, like, you're going to go spend the rest of your life telling the story of Jesus to a people group or to the rest of the world because of what that didn't happen. So I like when Paul sits down and his seat's close to Jesus, I'm sure mine's not going to be on the, the same side of the table or even made out of the same chair. And so, so I like I'm please hear that. I don't think 
that, and at the same time, like my status with God isn't dependent on me and what I know and what I've done, but rather what Jesus did on the cross, just like the rest of us. And so as a man reading the words of another man who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these letters and these accounts and to do what he did, I look at that and say, that man had something chronic and lasting that he was looking to Jesus for healing for. And he would get up in the day, I would assume, I'm assuming now, he would get up each day and go, my mission is this. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of the pain that I just asked Jesus to take away and he won't, that I'm going to ask again tonight. And, he, and, and again, the next day, because Jesus says, hey, just like a child is going to hound their dad, dad, can I, can I, can I, can I, will you, will you, will you, will you, will you, will you, will you. Jesus says, like, do that, do that with me. That's what Paul did, which was what I do. Like, I keep asking the same question. Please take it away. No, please, no, please, no. But yet I trust the same God, the same Jesus that Paul trusted is the same one I am trusting that one day that will be corrected. One day I will know clearly. One day I physically won't feel that way. One day I won't have those fears and anxiety that run through my mind because of what had happened before. And one day the guys that caused those things that were a part of that experience, golly, my hope. And, and, I, and I think probably those guys do know Jesus, that they are saved, that they have trusted him. And we'll be in eternity together and it's all going to be okay. Because the hope isn't like God bring judgment here. The hope is rather, God, I hope grace is bigger than what I think it is. And, and I hope. I hope more people are right than what a lot of times we say are, or maybe writes the wrong word. And I'm not, I'm not speaking for universalism here. So don't go that route with me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I hope God's grace is bigger than we feel like it maybe is. And I hope there are things that when are brought to clarity, that's like, cause I hope there's a lot more people in eternity with Jesus. Um, even though scriptures are clear, like the road is wide and gaping that leads to destruction in Jesus's words and the gate to life and to eternity and to forever is very small. And that road is not taken like the, the, the gate is, is narrow and the path is not uncharted, but not frequented. And I, all to say, like, I, I'm trusting the same Jesus that Paul did. I'm reading the same words from the Old Testament that Paul had memorized, the same stories. I'm looking at the words that he wrote and looking at the words that others who followed Jesus around also wrote. And Luke, who then talked to thousands of people, hundreds at least, if not thousands of people who had watched Jesus do those things and was close with those who were close in the community as the New Testament church took off in the early first century. And that like, that's comforting. And that's a part of the reconstruction of like, and Southwest Baptist church in Amarillo, Texas, that was an independent Baptist church that when I left, I was convinced that I had to use the King James Bible because the NIV was evil. As I've walked through the go, no, that's, that's just ignorance and a misunderstanding of Bible translations and how those things come 